Welcome to the Intimate Conversations with Deatra Simpson podcast, where we talk about relationships, spirituality, life lessons, and all things that are possible. Today, we're going to talk about what do you want to elicit as a leader? What do you want to elicit in your relationships? Now, what does it mean to elicit? To elicit means to draw forth or bring out. To elicit means to call forth or draw out. Take a moment right here before we even jump into this conversation and just think on the last experience that you had in a relationship in your life. What did you elicit? What did you call forth in that situation? What did you draw out? And sometimes we could elicit things that we don't want. And in other times, we can elicit the things exactly as we want them. The other thing I want to say is that sometimes what we elicit is unintentional. It's unconscious to us. We may be eliciting from a place of pain, from a place of anger, from a place of self-abandonment, or we can elicit from a place that is conscious, that is intentional, from a place of love, from a place of understanding, from a place of wisdom. Now, as leaders, oftentimes we are taught to keep the professional life from the personal life. Like, yeah, I may know about what's going on in your family because I have to know because you got to take this time off. Your dad got sick, so you're taking some FMLA. I may know that your kid got sick because you had to call off and, and go get your kid from school. I may know these personal things about you because you have to take time away from work to go handle it. But otherwise than that, I don't really need to know what's going on with you personally. I just need to know that you are here and that you're going to get the job done you've been hired to do. And I think that's the fatal mistake that we make as leaders today that we get so caught up in the tasks that need to be done that we forget about the person who is executing the task. I ask leaders often, what do you do to motivate your team? What do you do? What do you say? How do you know that they are motivated? How do you set that stage of motivation? How do you set that train to take off from the station? And then how do you maintain motivation within your team? And oftentimes I hear, well, I talk to them about their job. I talk to them about what's going well. Do they need anything from me? Most of the times they say no, or maybe they need to take a little break. They're trying to manage their burnout, but no, I, I don't know what to do to motivate my team. We have team appreciation. We acknowledge each other. And so my question again is, well, how do you know that they're motivated? One of the key things in motivating our teams is you have to know the person and what inspires them in order to motivate them. One of the things for certain is that we have to get clear about what is their truth as it relates to the work that they're doing. What brought you here? Why does this work matters to you? Why does it matter to you to do this work in the way that you're doing it? What inspires you while you're working? Or what inspires you when the work gets really difficult or complex or convoluted? What inspires you to keep going, to keep working at it? 
When you feel discouraged, how do you pick yourself up from that discouragement? What do you say to yourself? What do you do for yourself? Who supports you with that? On the team, off the team? Getting to know our staff in an intimate way is integral in the success of that staff member as well as the team. I was talking to some leaders. I'm like, so do you track the progress? Do you track the wins? Do you track when your staff has overcome a hurdle? Do you track their processes? No, I don't do that. I mean, they're just doing their job. Well, a part of motivation is building up your reservoir tank. It's kind of like a car, right? You could go fill up your tank, but there's this second tank that gets filled up. So if you were to go to E, go to empty in your car, it'll tell you, hey, but you really have 14 more miles. Now that's a reserve tank. And so I talk to leaders about having a reserve tank that you want to build up the reserve so that when discouragement come, when hard times come, you've built up a reserve of a track record that you're tracking along with your staff, that you're encouraging your staff to track so that when they fall on hard times, they can go back to remember, well, when this was hard the last time, this is what I did. Or when this became challenging, this was how I overcame that. Or when things got a little rough, this is who I asked to help me. And so we need to help our staff to build up a reserve of how we've overcome things, how we've confront things, and how we've been victorious in past challenges so that we can bring those things up as a way of encouraging them. Encouragement is essential. It's essential. We were talking about this in the last episode where I was talking about overcoming discouragement, that oftentimes we are discouraged and we walk around with the burden of discouragement on our shoulders, not realizing what is eliciting inside of us and therefore eliciting out of others. If as a leader, I'm discouraged, how am I going to encourage you? unless I'm willing to face what is discouraging me. Sometimes we feel like we can help somebody out their rut while we're stuck in our own rut and it just don't work like that. I can only help you out of your rut if I'm willing to come up out of mine. If I'm willing to be transparent about what is impacting me. And sometimes as leaders, we feel like we have to hold back what we're experiencing for the sake of someone else, not realizing that they may be experiencing what we're giving off. And we want to be able to articulate it and explain it so that we can reach an understanding. What are you eliciting? What are you eliciting in your relationship? I was talking to a friend about her marriage and she was talking about the insecurity in her marriage and 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 she was getting to a point where she could no longer handle the insecurity and handle what it was evoking inside of her. And so she was looking to make some different decisions. And I reminded her that what you do in the in-between time matters. Do you want to increase the insecurity that is in your marriage or do you want to... St- dissolve it because the power is in your hands 
to dissolve the insecurity, but you got to decide what you're going to fix your mind upon. You got to decide to be intentional about breaking away from what is being elicited in your marriage. Where is this insecurity coming from? Why does it keep showing up? What is your role in that? What is your partner's role in that? How are you willing to have this conversation with your partner so that the insecurity can begin to dissipate? Sometimes when we get caught up emotionally, we begin to feel powerless and we begin to feel hopeless. And so we start to look to the things that we feel like we can have power over. And that's why I asked her, do you want to create more insecurity in your marriage? Yes, you're hurt. Yes, you're angry. Yes, you're frustrated. But what's at the root of that? And she was able to say, I just want my husband's attention. I want to know that he want me. So I asked her, well, how can you elicit that? Sometimes we're manifesting and we're creating the things that we don't want in our relationships. That's why the experts tell us we need to focus on what we do want. And anyone can get tripped up in what they don't want because fear is very attractive to our brain. Fear is the number one thing that our brain uses to help us to protect ourselves. But it's a false sense of protection. It becomes imperative that we govern our hearts and we govern our minds and that we protect and guard our ear gates. And and even as leaders, I was talking to a leader and she was talking about being militant. Now she's being militant because she want to get the job done, but nobody likes her. And now she feels inadequate because nobody wants to be in relationship with her. Well, what are you willing to do? You're eliciting something. Because you're being the way that you think you should be and you're being that way from a place of fear. Who are you? Who do you want to be as a leader? Who would you want leading you? What would they sound like? How would they present themselves to you? How would they engage you? What characteristics would they have so that when you sit across from them, you will feel emboldened to share your truth? That you would be able to put whatever was needed on the table and feel heard and understood and supported and encouraged? How can you be that for your staff? That particular leader shared with me, well, I don't trust that my leader would be there for me like that. So I actually look for the disappointment. So because you don't think that your leader is going to be there for you and that you're prepared to be disappointed, you elicit that in your relationships with your staff, that they're not going to get what they need from you and that they're going to be disappointed. Are you willing to make some changes? Are you willing to put on new glasses and to learn a new language? Becoming an extraordinary leader is not just about having the skill to get tasks done. It's about the skill in being able to initiate and establish relationships that can then be maintained in a way that keeps people motivated, not just to get the job done, but to be their best selves while they're getting the job done. And one of the things that people are constantly looking for is development. And so when I'm speaking to leaders, I'm reminding them that your job is to develop your team, not just to make sure that the job gets done, but that you partake in their development. 
that when you partake in their development as individuals, because remember, it's individuals who's getting the job done and you want them to perform at their highest potential. But how can they do that if you don't know how to inspire them to get there? Or you're not helping them to investigate it within themselves of how to get to their highest motivation. I was talking with a CEO about his vision for his organization, and he was explaining how he's been the sole cheerleader to his organization, trying to get them pumped up. And and I said, well, we have to get them activated. You're not the only leader in the organization. And if it's only your voice that they're hearing and they're not hearing their leaders talk to them about the vision, they're not being motivated by their individual supervisors or direct supervisor about the vision, then the excitement will last while you're in the meeting having the conversation. But once the meeting is over, it'll leave their minds. Another thing about motivation is gaining buy-in. Our staff need to be able to see what's in it for them. They need to be able to see that they are the hero in the story. I mean, after all, they're the ones that's getting the work done, that's producing the results. But oftentimes as leaders, we will give acknowledgement, but we don't set the stage for them to be the hero in the story or the heroine in the story. Now, this is significant because this is their story of their life, of their work. But we don't spend enough time helping them to see how they are the hero or heroine of their own story, of their own life. That the power of choice is in their hands and that the power to produce is in their gifts and in their talents and what they bring to the table. And helping them to see themselves from the position of the hero or the heroine. Helping them to see how they triumph over the impossible. And that because of their work ethic, because of their tenacity, that they're able to make the impossible possible. See, that goes beyond acknowledgement. There was a time I was running a team and we would come into our staff meeting And there would be great acknowledgments going all around the room, just everyone's acknowledging everyone. But when the meeting was over, there was such disconnection within those relationships. And once I got wind to that, I said, we have to do something about this because what's the point of the acknowledgement if it's not manifesting in the quality of the relationship? So we need them to buy into the vision And once they bought into the the vision, we have to help them to see how they are the hero or the heroine in the story, because that's what's going to cause them to gravitate towards personal investment, towards making a commitment to seeing it through to the end. And the only way people will make such an investment is when they see what's in it for them. People want to know that they're doing more than just making your dream a reality making your vision come true. They need to be able to see themselves in that story. They need to be able to see themselves in the vision. They need to be able to see that their investment is going to count, is going to matter. What are you eliciting in your staff? How are you motivating them? How are you encouraging them? What do you know about them? What do you know that inspires them, that causes them 
to work tirelessly to get the job done. I was speaking to another leader and she was talking about how she cringe when she's in the room with other leaders because of how they talk to each other. There's no respect for what another person thinks. There's no respect for another person's idea that the whole time they're shutting each other down and that there's this sense of competition and there's intensity in this competition to the point that it makes her feel sick to be in the room with them, to hear them talking to one another. The thing about it is that they're producing great work and sometimes we can lose sight of what's really going on because we're still producing a great product. But what's the point in producing a great product if the relationships are breaking apart behind the scenes or if the people who are working together have no respect for each other and no respect for what the other brings to the table because they're so focused on being competitive, seeing who will get the next promotion versus honoring each other and honoring the work that they're doing as a team. And I remember speaking with a friend and we were also on the same team together and she was like, you're my competition and I'm your competition. And and pretty much what she was telling me, she was not willing to help me because I was a threat to where she was trying to go. And I said, I can never be your competition. I can never stop a door from opening for you that's meant for you. Just as much as you can't stop a door from opening for me that's meant for me. But if we work in partnership and we encourage each other to become the best versions of ourselves as we're doing this work, then we will create the opportunity and be prepared to walk through the next open door. And whatever door is open to you, I'ma congratulate you. And I hope that whatever door is open to me, you will congratulate me. What are you eliciting? In your relationships? What are you eliciting from your staff, from your leaders, from your colleagues? It all has to do with who you are, who you want to become. Are you intentional? Are you conscious to what's driving you? Why it's driving you? What if there's something that's driving you that's really not gelling or mixing? Are you willing to be course corrected? Are you willing to adjust that thing? So that you can be more in alignment to your truth versus in alignment to your pain or in alignment to inferiority or in alignment to frustration. You could be frustrated. You could be in pain and still show up in a way that elicits great things from you as well as from others. What are you eliciting? I was talking to another leader and his leader was talking about how going into staff meetings, he really did not enjoy them. And so he would already be checked out because he couldn't handle all of the complaints that was going to come forth in the staff meetings. When he show up, he's physically there, but mentally and emotionally, he is vacant. So I talked to them about their staff being on their phones or, you know, in the COVID environment having their screens shut off so that you can't see their face. And this leader said, well, I don't mind if they do that. It's not a big deal. So I said to him, well, respectfully, you don't mind because you're not fully showing up yourself. So you're eliciting that in them that they don't have to show up. But what are the missed opportunities? What are the missed opportunities as a leader when you are not fully present mentally and emotionally? 
and you're giving them permission to not be there, what is being missed? Not only what is being missed with regard to opportunity, but what does it say about you as a leader? Is that standard that you want to set in your team? Do you like the results that are being yielded from this being a standard in your team? And what are you willing to do about it? How are you willing to go about correcting this standard? And the first thing we need to do is look at self. Are you willing to take care of yourself and get what you need so that you can be fully present physically, mentally, and emotionally? What are some conversations you can start having with your team so you can begin to shift the atmosphere when you come together as a team? What are some conversations that need to be had? What are some standards that need to be put in place to change the culture of your team so that you will want to show up and that they will want to show up? Or sometimes we're eliciting surface relationships. We're just going to act like everything is okay. We're not going to really get into any difficult conversations. And I remember going into a team where this was something that they practiced. Everything is okay. I'm training this team and the leaders leave out and the staff is there and they say, can we talk to you? And I say, sure. Staff pulls me back into the room and close the door and they say, there is so much going on in this team and we really need your help. We really need your help so that we can talk about this with our leaders. They make it seem like it's okay. It's not okay. There's been ruptures in our team. We don't trust our leaders. We're tired of this going on. Can you help us have this conversation? And I remember after that meeting feeling stuck like, wait, hold on. I just came here to give them a training. How did I get mixed up in this coaching opportunity? And then I realized that I was eliciting the truth from them. That in our conversations, we would have intimate, transparent conversation. And this was evoking in them the desire to put the real things on the table. That they wanted to cease the moment, cease the opportunity to be able to deal with some real ruptures that was going on in their team. And so they looked to me to trust them, to shepherd them through the process of being able to have challenging conversations as a team with their leaders. Although all of the team at that time, when they brought me in to share these things with me, they all seemed like they were on board. And one of the things that I've learned is this thing around false agreements where people look as though they are in agreement, but in actuality, they're not, or they're in agreement, but they're too afraid to stand in what they agree to. And so some of those appeared. Well, well why are we doing this? Why are we having this conversation? And I would say, because this person brought this up and you asked that I facilitate this conversation and this is how we're going to do it. How imperative it is for us to help others to stand in their truth. Again, what are you eliciting? What are you calling forth in your relationships? What are you drawing out in your relationships? And to know that you have the power to choose and the power to be intentional about what you draw forth, about what you bring out, about what you call forth, about what you draw out. Now, when I'm talking about intentionality as it 
relates to eliciting something. I'm not talking about manipulation because it's easy for us to think we can manipulate a circumstance. But manipulation, just as our truth, is about intentionality. And your intentionality will always be revealed no matter what. Because one thing I know is that when you think that you are hidden and when you think that you are in disguise, you're actually being seen for what you think you're hiding. So what are you eliciting in your relationships? What are you eliciting as a leader? Are you eliciting for the person to show up in their truth, to be their best self, that you want to know them at their core so that you can understand what inspires them, what ignites the fire inside of them? What do they need from you so that you can be a partner in their motivation? Are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to put the hard things on the table? Are you willing to walk them through challenging processes for the sake of their own development? And not just for their development, but for your development as well. A few years back, I was writing up a a pip for one of my staff. And it was the first time that I had to write up this contract with the staff to say, hey, This is going to be our agreement that's going to be documented to help you get on track and for me to partner with you to help you get on track. And this particular staff thought that I was trying to get them removed from their position. And I remember in that moment saying, if I don't be transparent right here, right now, I'm going to lose this staff and it's going to become an uphill battle. And so I said, you know, I've never done this before. This is not something that I want to do. There are parts of my job that if I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't do it this way. And at the same time, it's my job to hold you accountable to the work that you're supposed to do. And what I would love for this to be an opportunity to do is to strengthen our partnership, to strengthen our relationship. And so that we can be walking together in this process. This agreement is about what you're going to do as well as about what I'm going to do. And we're going to track this together. And I want you to track your part and I'm going to track my part and we're going to come together and we're going to talk about what is happening. Where is the progress? Where does the improvement need to be? What do you need from me as your leader? And sometimes it takes for us to have those intricate conversations with our team so that we're eliciting out of them something that's going to be valuable, first of all, to themselves. Because remember, it's imperative that people see what's in it for them. And then what's valuable for the relationship, the partnership that we get to have, right? Because I need to be able to influence my staff. I need to be able to call them to action. I need to be able to challenge them when a challenge is necessary. I need to be able to course correct when course correction is necessary, but it doesn't make me their enemy. It just makes me their partner in their development. As they're doing these tasks or these job functions, they're developing as human beings. And when people feel like they are being developed or that what they need matters and that there is space and there there is a way to be creative about them getting their needs met, even in the workplace, that they will bring ultimate value to the organization. 
The work that I do with people is really looking at what is the driver behind the mindset. And in looking at the driver, I help people look at the emotional self and the mental self and the spiritual self to understand what's driving them holistically. So again, what are you eliciting in your relationships? What are you eliciting as a leader? Thank you for joining me for another episode of Intimate Conversations with Deatra Simpson. It's been a privilege and an honor to reveal myself to you, and I look forward to our next conversation. Until then, take care of you.